Well, can I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, we're uh, going straight into the sermon now because we're going to be sharing the Lord's Supper in a minute, uh, in, in a few minutes, I hope, not in a minute. Um, no, too much to say in just a minute. <laughs> but I want us to read um, from Acts chapter 2, verse 29 through to the end of the chapter. And it's a great chapter of Pentecost, and of course the Holy Spirit has come down, and uh, uh, the apostles have spoken in languages that people can understand from all parts of the then known world, and uh, Peter stands up and preaches, and he says, I'm not drunk, I'm, I'm actually sober, and, and here's what, what I need to preach about, and he begins to preach about uh, Jesus Christ, and he does so in a particular way, he uh, begins to unfold the pages of Old Testament scripture and to call the people to repentance. And so verse 29, he comes to Jesus in verse 29. He says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his, his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three, there were added that day about three thousand souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were took together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord 
added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to your word again, we pray for your help to understand it. Thank you for your spirit who brings light to the pages of Holy Scripture. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today, uh, today marks something of a, a new start for us as Christians, uh, as a church, rather. Uh, some of us have been Christians a long time. <laughs> something of a new char- start for us as a church. And uh, we're meeting in a new place uh, we've had, over the years, we've had a number of these new starts. Uh, I counted up today. Uh, this is actually the seventh place we've met. I encourage you, those of you who have been long old-timers will work out what those seven places were. And um, So we've been somewhat nomadic, and maybe this will not be the last. Um, in fact, actually, I hope it won't be our last, because... Uh, we're praying that the Lord would provide us with our own building at some point. Um, but that's in his good time. But it's always good when we uh, assemble together and we reach a significant point in, in our life as a church to revisit uh, what we are and what we're committed to as a church. What are the kind of things that really should mark us out as a Christian church uh, in these days, in any day. And uh, this passage is, uh, really helps us here. Um, and that's what we're going to do for the rest of this month uh, through September. Uh, we are going to think about four things. Uh, it's going to be complicated because we only have four Sundays and one of them is an ordination service. So I'm not sure what's going to happen to the fourth of them. It might not end up being spoken about until November, because I'm off in October. But through this month, we're going to look at four, uh, three, three at least of the four, uh, marks of the Christian church. And uh, we're going to think about what those early disciples were devoted to. Now, I wonder if anybody can guess which verse I'm going to think about. Did you notice that word Devoted. One of the children spotted that verse. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Four things. So we're going to look at those four things over the next few weeks. What were they devoted to? And the point is this, that you know, whatever they were devoted to then... In the earliest days of the church, it's what we should be devoted to now, in the continuing days of the church. And the simple reason is that God's saving grace has not changed over the intervening 2,000 years. He is still in the business of bringing people to the point of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So that they turn to Christ and are saved by his grace. And you'll see that as as the church is devoted to these four things, what happens? People are praising God, and the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. Uh, You know, as night follows day, so 
evangelism and outreach and church growth follows when the church is focused on the right things. So, so people are saved through the ministry that the church uh, pursues as the church meets and assembles and gathers together and is devoted to these things. Um, and, you know, the, there are fruits of conversion, aren't there? When people become Christians, they bear, begin to bear fruit. They begin to change. It brings about, that conversion brings about certain convictions and certain motivations and certain desires that they never had before. Because the Holy Spirit changes them. And we become new people in Christ. And so before we go any further, let me just ask you this morning, as you assemble here today, a simple question, why are you here? Why are you driven to be here? What, is there anything that drives you to be here? What brought you to meet with these people at this time in this place? And I know that some of you are eager and hungry and thirsty. And for you, the best time of the week is to assemble with God's people and to meet with them. And it's the highlight of the week, to worship with God's people. Whatever else you do in the week, the one thing that you're going to do is you're going to meet with God's people and you're going to worship with them. Some of you are maybe not as enthusiastic. Uh, You maybe come out of habit. And you have a vague hope that maybe uh, something that happens this morning might be useful to you. Uh, But you're not really sure. Maybe that's you this morning. And maybe some of you are not, you don't really want to be here at all. You don't know why you're here. Uh, and I'm not foolish enough to think that everybody who comes here loves to be at a worship service. I know my own heart, and uh, I suspect your heart's a bit like mine, that sometimes we have those down moments and we're not quite sure if we want to be here. But, you know, thanks for coming anyway, I think. <laughs> Well, I want us just, as I said, over the next few weeks to think about what's said in this verse, in verse 42. And my, my prayer for us all is that we are challenged to examine our own hearts before God and uh, to see what is, to see that what is happening here, described here, is actually part of the normal Christian life to be devoted to these four things. And today I just want to look at the first one. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. But first of all, I need to just ask the question, what does it mean to be devoted? They devoted themselves. What happened to these people that you read of in Acts chapter 2? Well, quite something quite remarkable as it turns out. Um, you know, a transformation has happened as Peter has been preaching the gospel to them. And something happens to these men and women, boys and girls probably, and they have become devoted disciples and learners. Now, I think you know what devoted means. Uh, You know, when a man falls in love with a woman, suddenly his behavior changes. Uh, 
He starts paying more attention to his appearance. Uh, He wants to be where she is. She keeps coming into his conversation. And sometimes he can't keep his mouth shut because he's so busy gaping at his beautiful woman in front of him. (laughs) You know, being devoted actually just changes your behavior, doesn't it? And it changes you in all kinds of ways, maybe ways that you don't expect. But that's what we're seeing here. Under the, the preaching of Christ, under Peter, their lives are totally changed and suddenly they become devoted to the teaching of the apostles. And notice it's, it's not just that they devote some time or they devote some, some money or, or some other thing they have. They devote them whole, their whole selves to the teaching. It's like their whole being is taken up with the teaching that comes from the lips of the apostles and they cannot stay away. Friends, this is what happens when the Holy Spirit takes the gospel message and it profoundly affects people's lives. He just preached the gospel and, and You know that response earlier on when the people say at the end of verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do? You know, there is a sort of sense in which when you preach Christ to people, people, if the Holy Spirit is present and at work, people say, what what are we going to do about this? And from that point on, the people are never the same again. People's lives are, are changed and they become devoted disciples. You know, that's what marks out a new Christian. Somebody who's really become a Christian. A true Christian. Not just religious, but has discovered the gospel. See, one of the, one of the features of the way that human beings are constituted by God is that we are driven by the thing that we love. And so people can't be changed simply by telling them that something else is new and better. Uh, Rational, persuasive argument has its place, but actually rational, persuasive argument isn't actually enough to convert anybody. People can only be changed if they discover something that they love more than the things they've been previously loving. It's the way we're constituted. And this is what happens when the gospel is preached, when the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel sets before people someone who can change their lives, someone that they can love more than anything they have ever loved before. That someone is Jesus Christ. And they find in their hearts a desire to to close with Christ rather than remain distant and and to continue to be devoted to Christ. You see, the new, the new Christian begins to experience a, a kind of gripping love 
that they didn't have before, and it shapes everything about them afterwards. This is what we're seeing here in this passage. A group of people who have this compulsion to give themselves to the things of God, to the apostles' teaching, to the things that really matter. Is this the state of your heart today? At this very moment, as you sit here in this room, what is it that you truly desire? What are you truly devoted to? Well, these disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching. So let's think next about what is the apostles' teaching? What do we mean by the apostles' teaching? And of course, the apostles taught, didn't they? They did some teaching. And uh, it's the core of their work as apostles. And as you read through the book of Acts, you'll discover that uh, the only method that they have is to preach and teach. Uh, They don't have a slick marketing campaign. Uh, They don't have all the razzmatazz. They just get to a place and they start preaching and teaching. And yes, God is at work by his spirit to give power to the preaching and teaching so that the gospel has such a profound effect on so many people's lives. But as far as the job of the apostles was concerned, it was simply to stand up in front of crowds and preach and teach. And yes, God authenticated the preaching and teaching through miracles and amazing things that happened, but the fundamental work of the apostle is to preach and teach. So what did they teach about? Was it some new teaching that they brought along? Well, actually, of course, no. It's not, it wasn't new at all. And again, you read through the book of Acts, you listen to the sermons of Peter, of Stephen, of Paul, uh, and so on. What do you see? You see these apostles and great Christians taking the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, And explaining to people about Jesus Christ. And you see how God's plan of salvation unfolded step by step in glorious perfection and certainty. Leading ultimately to the coming of Jesus Christ as he promised and signified and foretold and so on. And so that was their source material, the Old Testament. And the testimony about the risen Jesus Christ. And so they preach about the death and resurrection of Christ according to uh, all the scriptures. And then having done that, what did they do? They called people, the apostles, they called people to repent and believe. Come, repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be baptized. And receive forgiveness of sins and new life in Christ. And this is what is meant by the apostles' teaching. The opening up of the scriptures. Showing how Jesus Christ is the one promised. And calling people to repent and believe in him. 
Now, here's the thing that people often miss about this. It is not simply that the written pages are the apostles' teaching. The written pages of the Old Testament. It's not just that they are the apostles' teaching. It is that the preaching of the scriptures is the apostles' teaching. In other words, the the primary mode of delivering and receiving the apostles' teaching is when people gather together and the word is preached. This is what they weren't doing in Acts 2.42. They weren't joining a reading group. They were gathering together to hear the word of God preached. The apostles preaching. Now why does that matter? Why is it so important to emphasize the gathering for the preaching of the Bible? Because for the simple reason that as the Bible is preached in this apostolic fashion... God is particularly present amongst his people. I I can imagine that some of you are thinking, I'm not sure I believe that. I I confess, I have had some members of the church say to me, oh, but you can't say that, Stephen. Let me prove it to you with a few verses. You may like to look these up. You should always have your Bible open. Look at Acts 13.44. So I'm cheating. I've got it printed out in front of me. So I don't have to scramble. But Acts 13.44. And Paul is on his first missionary journey. He's preaching in Pisidian Antioch. He's in the middle of Turkey somewhere. And he's preaching to Jews. And his preaching causes such a stir that... Luke tells us this in verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear what? The word of the Lord. Now, what was happening there? Paul was preaching and teaching. But they came to hear the word of the Lord. In other words, they expected God, and this is what Luke is telling us, They expected God to be present in the preaching of the word. Or 1 Thessalonians 2.13. I've got three verses altogether. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. And he is, uh, you remember the story in the book of Acts. He, He turns up, he only has three Sabbath days to preach and teach. And then... Uh, through one thing and another, he has to leave the city. There's a baby church and so on. Uh, but Paul, writing his letter back to the, Th- the Thessalonians, reflecting on what happened, uh, he is thankful because, and he says this, when you received, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
So Paul believed that when he was preaching, it was the word of God going to the people. God was speaking to the people. And when the people heard it, they received it as just that. The word of God. God's word. God speaking to them. One more verse. Ephesians 2.17. And again, Paul is talking about what's happened to these Ephesian converts. In Ephesians 2.17, he says, And he, and that's Christ, he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. Do you get the significance of that? Christ came and preached to you who are far off and peace to those of you who are near. Now what, again, what happened there? Well, Paul was doing the preaching. But in his preaching, Christ was preaching. Jesus was preaching. Jesus was in the midst of the ministry of the word. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That it's through the messengers that Jesus Christ has sent out into the world to preach the gospel that he preaches. Jesus preaches as his messengers preach the word. Do you get the significance of that? Do you see how exciting that is? And how exciting it must have been for those early Christians. There was, I, I, I rather suspect that as Peter was standing up preaching there, there was a sense in which that, as he spoke about Jesus Christ, as how he died and he rose again, there was a sense in which Jesus Christ was present amongst them. And all of these people felt it. They felt Jesus speaking to them and calling them to himself. Many of you have had that experience. We're completely unsuspecting. You come into a meeting like this, perhaps, or a church somewhere, and you're not expecting anything. And suddenly you find yourself, as it were, almost confronted by Jesus Christ in front of you. As the word of God is proclaimed. Can you see how... Important. If it's important for those early Christians who devote themselves to the apostles' teaching because they meet with Christ there, can you see how important it is for us today to devote ourselves in the same way to the, preach, the, 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 uh, the apostolic preaching of Christ? What a terrible thing it is to neglect it. What does it say when you neglect it? Let me move on and um, try and address some of the problems that you might be thinking about right now. Um, Some of you might be thinking, well, how can you say that, Stephen? I've heard so many sermons, and I can't say that God was present in them. Uh, I've heard many people stand up and speak, and God doesn't seem to be present. In fact, some of you may not have ever felt that you have heard God speaking to you in a sermon. And for some of you, it may be a completely new idea 
and and all all your life so far, you you see a sermon simply as some kind of lecture or some kind of just deposit of information that you can pick up and or leave as you if you see fit. Let me just point out two problems that can contribute to this uh, feeling. The first and the obvious one is, of course, there is bad preaching around. There is terrible preaching around. Um, There's a lot of bad preaching from a lot of bad preachers. And part of the problem is they themselves are not devoted to the apostles teaching themselves, but they may be interested in something else. They may be interested in moralizing, giving people a few kind of practical tips and tricks about how to navigate life, a few moral things to say to people. You may simply want to give people a a kind of motivational talk, like TED Talk or something. You know, just, and people all feel happy about it. Or some preachers want to entertain. They want to tell jokes all the time. They want people to laugh. Uh, They want people to sing. They want, uh, you know, and if everybody's laughing and joking and happy, then everybody's happy. And we've done a good job. Entertainment. I always said to people that when we were starting this church, when is it, 15 years ago or whatever, 16 years ago nearly, um, it's not actually difficult to grow a church. You just need to bring in the entertainment. <laughs> you know, and people will turn up. Have a good time. Why not? You could pay people to come here. You'd probably grow a church better that way, or faster that way. You know, there are preachers who want have all sorts of motivations for why they preach, and not all of it is good because some of them are bad preachers and they deliver bad preaching. And some preachers are simply just not trained well enough and don't know how to handle the Word of God rightly. And so they, such, such preachers are susceptible to uh, personal hobby horses. You know, certain preachers always seem to go back to the same things. And that's the problem, you know, bad preaching. So, hands up, uh, there is a lot of bad preaching around. But the other problem is on the other side of the, this kind of relationship. And it's bad hearing. Bad hearing. And we have a, an uphill battle to hear for a couple of reasons. You have an uphill battle to hear what Jesus Christ is saying to you for a couple of reasons. One is simply that we live in a culture where we expect to be entertained when we sit down to watch or hear something. And we expect to to be passive and to be led along step by step without any kind of real active engagement. I was thinking about this as uh, Susan and I were watching a TV drama show um, uh, the other night and the music that was playing, it was constant, and it was constantly telling me how I was supposed to feel all the time. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> the music is constantly telling me how I'm supposed to feel. And I've entered into this little battle of, I don't want to feel this. What, why should I feel this? It's just a TV show. <laughs> but most of the time we just get sucked in, don't we? We get sucked in passively. And we're carried along. 
Uh, we, we, as we assemble here on an occasion like this, we don't work, assemble here. We, we don't come here to be entertained, do we? I hope not. There might be some enjoyable aspects of what we do, of course. But we're not here to be entertained. We're here to engage with God's word. And God is speaking to, his, to us in his word through the preaching of the word as we are prayerfully responding to it. You should be praying right now as you hear God's word spoken to you and proclaimed to you. So that's one uphill battle in our hearing. Another reason it's an uphill battle is simply the sin of our hearts. The sin of our hearts. Uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now I think every Christian needs to learn that verse. The heart, Jeremiah 17 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And you know, naturally as Christians we tend to think, well that applies to all these people outside. That applies to all of these non-Christians whose hearts are desperately sick and desperately corrupt. Who can understand their hearts? But actually God is speaking about God's people. God is speaking about God's people. Yes, uh, the penalty of our sin has been dealt with on the cross. Yes, the authority of sin has been broken. By Jesus' death on the cross, in the victory over the, the works of the devil. But the presence of st- sin is still a reality from which we are gradually being sanctified. But our hearts are still sick and still corrupt. And it means that every time we are faced with the choice of coming to worship or not, to hear God's word, to to hear the apostles' teaching, there's that inner battle that kicks off. And even when you're here, you may be facing it right now, there's an inner battle going on within yourself saying, why am I here? I don't want to be here. See, am am I going to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, where I hear God speaking to me personally, or am I going to raise a white flag to my sin and just give up? And then maybe you just say to yourself, well, I won't bother to come today, or if I have to come, I'll stop listening to what God may have to say to me. I'll be thinking about something else. Well, let me finish. Um, I'll finish very quickly. But what does this mean for us? Um, The first thing is to ask this basic question. Are you in the faith? Are you a Christian? Are you born again of the Spirit of God? Been changed? Have you received and rested upon the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, this is what happened to these Christians in Acts chapter 2. They heard, they believed, their hearts were filled with desire. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they became hungry for the word of God. They became hungry. And if you're not saved, if you haven't been changed, then of course you will have no such desire and you will not be devoted. So which is it for you? Are you saved? Are you born again? 
And you know, I think, here's the thing. I'm going to say something controversial. But I love you. (laughs) I think the real test will come for you this afternoon. Are you so devoted to the apostles' teaching that you will do everything you can to come back at five o'clock for more of the apostles' teaching? How devoted are you to the apostles' teaching? But the second thing to ask is if you are a Christian, how much do you value the apostles' teaching and care about its continuing presence among us? Uh, Do you take it for granted that week by week is going to be here? And that when you turn up, you're going to hear from God. Let me tell you a story, a Bible story, and then a personal story. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, uh, the people of Israel presumed that God would always be present and give them victory over their enemies. 1 Samuel 4. But ominously, in the previous chapter, beginning of chapter 3, the writer says, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Though God didn't seem to be present in his word. And then we're told in chapter 4 how the Ark of the Covenant was captured from Israel by the Philistines after a disastrous battle. Now, for reasons that I don't have time to elaborate this morning, the Ark is the Ark of the Covenant, that box, glorious, wonderful, beautiful box with the Ten Commandments in it and one or two other things. That Ark of the Covenant is a, an Old Testament symbol or type or shadow of Jesus Christ. And I can't go into that just, just at this moment. But. And so the capture of the Ark of the Covenant and the taking away of it by the Philistines represents the removal, if you like, of Christ from amongst his people. And at the end of chapter 4, these words come like like a tolling bell on the people of Israel. The glory has departed from Israel. You see what I'm saying? The word was rare. The ark was taken away. And the glory of God had gone. Friends, the glory of God is amongst us. And present with us as the word is faithfully preached here week by week. Because in it, Christ preaches. And I can assure you that we in this church and in our denomination, we do our best to be as faithful as we can be to the word of God and not get in the way of Jesus Christ speaking to you. But we we live in a time today When the word of God is rare in these days. It is a rare thing to have a church like this one. Not because of me or anyone else in this church. But because the word of God is preached. And Christ is present amongst us. But it may not always be so. God can take away his glory. 
and take away Christ from amongst us by taking away the preaching of his word. I remember as a young student, this is my personal story, I remember as a young student in Glasgow, I was uh, privileged to sit under one of the best preaching ministries in the world at the time. And, uh, you know, and nearly a thousand people morning and evening would gather to hear the ministry of the word. It was like the, the Real Madrid of preaching teams, you know. Uh, I hope that means something to somebody. <laughs> but I do remember one elder one night, I was talking to him after an evening service. And he told me that there were many people, many elders, praying. And there were, I don't know, there were 70 elders in this church. There were many elders praying that God would not take away that ministry and that the glory would not depart. And as it happens, you know, the Lord has answered that prayer over the years. That church still exists. It's still flourishing. But what they were concerned about was the complacency of a congregation Blessed with such spiritual riches, yet many week by week were squandering the blessing and presuming upon God and not devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Friends, I just ask you as we finish, are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Or are you presuming on God and wasting opportunities that you have to meet with God's people and to meet with God as we assemble together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, uh, the wonderful testimony of Scripture to the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in changing and transforming people's lives. And Lord our God, we pray that you would so uh, invade our lives that we too would be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Help us never to be complacent or lazy, but Lord, help us to treasure what we have in Jesus Christ and to treasure these times when the people of God are called together at your command to meet and worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.